Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 is where we'll start. We'll work through verse uh, 15 this morning. Uh, In Matthew 6, here's what you have. Jesus is in the middle of challenging uh, the heart of his disciples in a pretty well-known and weighty sermon known as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And what he does is in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, you start to see it pick up, Matthew 6, what he's talking about is what does a new heart in Christ look like? What does it look like? What does a person look like who's been transformed by the goodness of God in their lives? And so what he does is he's preaching this sermon and he addresses all kinds of different um, heart issues. And here, what he does in chapter 6 is Jesus begins to talk about the motive in what we do, why we do what we do. And so you have, in the beginning of chapter 6, uh, he's talking about a person who wants to give to the needy. And he, so he says this to his disciples, listen, don't give to the needy so that you would be noticed. And so he, he goes against really the, the motive of our heart, why one person would want to give to the needy in the first place. He says, don't do it for uh, the approval or the um, uh, applause of others. Do it really for your love for Jesus and your love for God. And so he begins to unpack this idea in chapter six of a motive. And then he moves from your actions to your prayer life. What is the motivation of your prayer life? And so Matthew six, verse five is where we're going to pick up this morning. He says this, and when you pray, disciples, he's talking to his disciples, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their what? Reward, right? So he said, don't be like the people who are out on the street corners drawing attention to themselves and praying out loud just to get the applause of men. And so if you've seen this, uh, if you've been around Christians uh, for any amount of time, for longer than a year, I'll give it, you've probably seen believers or people that claim to be believers do this. Uh, I went to a Christian college. My first year of Christian college, there was like, we would, we, you would walk out into the campus of the Christian college, and it was always like the guy who brought his guitar to play worship songs outside, and it was really to get attention from girls, and that's what he was doing, and he's like, he sings like the, you know, the, the best song that he could possibly sing, and it was like this, we're kind of outdoing each other in how we do worship songs. I remember this one guy, he'd like ride a bike and without handlebars and play guitar and, lead, and play worship songs and ride a bike at the same time. It's like, he is like the ultimate worshiper, right? We can't beat this guy. And, and so we've, but we've seen um, these types of prayers. I remember another time when uh, my wife was a brand new believer and she wanted to go on a missions trip to Thailand. And it was before uh, we were married. And so, uh, that sounded weird, my wife was a brand new believer. No, she, we, before we were married, she became a believer, all right? Um, and she is, wants to go to Thailand. We're in a room of, of just some great godly people, and we're praying. And it, man, you could just tell, man, these people are connected to God. They love God. They love missions. And this one guy, he just gives this incredible mission prayer. And he's like, amen. It's just kind of like popcorn prayer. So like whoever wants to pray can pray. And um, 
after he prayed, no one wants to pray because it was just so good. Like, you know, like, you know, how can I follow that, right? And this one guy, it gets really quiet, and it's like probably a minute goes by, and he just goes, Daddy, like that. Now, my wife says, is that wrong? And I went, probably, but I don't know why. I just got to, like, but it was just awkward, and it was just weird. And so I, I had to unpack this for my wife. Now, can we call God Daddy? Yes, obviously. He's Abba Father. We call him Father, but there is like a reverence there. We are talking to the creator of the universe. And so, but I felt like there was a little bit of watch me have this close relationship with God there. And so the point that Jesus is trying to make here is he's like, listen, don't make prayer so complicated. Don't make it this thing where you have to have this, these eloquent words to, to draw, or, or these intimate words to try to draw people's attention to you. And if we're honest this morning, I mean, it's Sunday morning, so we've we got to be honest today, right, out of any day. Um, most of the time that when we do something, most of the time we do it out of our own selfish ambition, if we're honest. Like, I would love to tell you this morning that every sermon that I preach is for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, now, my heart's desire above every other desire in my life is the, the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. But listen, every sermon that I preach here at Integrity, there's a part of me that is, I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm brilliant. I want people to think I'm funny. I want people to think I'm impactful. There's a part of me that says, I want this attention. I want this applause from others. And guess what? God decides to use me anyway. God just says, I'm going to use this fool who's all about his pride and his glory, and I'm going to glorify myself through it. And so that's the goodness of God. Now, you might say, Ben, that's really messed up. Well, that's what, you're probably messed up too. You just don't realize it yet, all right? Because in all of our lives, we have something like that, something that we do good, something that we even do under the banner of the glory of God, but it's skewed through our own pride and our own insecurities and our own desire to be loved by men more than we are loved by God. But Jesus says this, listen, if that's your heart's desire, if, if your desire is just the applause of men, he says in verse 5, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Which indicates this, there is a reward in prayer. There is reward in prayer. It is experiencing the grace and the wonder of God in our lives. But when we cheap that, cheapen that for the applause of men... What we do is we trade something in that is wonderful and glorious to something that is cheap and fleeting. And so what's happening, if, if you're a believer and you're growing in the gospel, you're going to move from satisfying self to glorifying God. And I can think back to when I first started preaching in my early 20s, a, a great percentage of me preaching was more about I hope people like this. I hope this is impactful. I hope I can, people can leave and think that's a great speaker. But now as I'm growing older, look, that part of me is dying. It's still there, but it's dying. 
that sanctification, it's growing in the gospel. And so what happens when we grow in the gospel, our heart is going to be less fixated on self and more fixated on God. And that's the beauty of what he does. And so Jesus is challenging, really, a heart issue here. He's saying, look, if you're a believer, your, your desire is not to gain the applause of men. It's for the glory of God. So when you pray, don't be like these people in the streets. Don't be these people who are trying to draw attention to themselves. Do it for your love and affection for him. And so in verse 6, he says this. He says, but when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is a pretty well-known passage. And some of, some of it is taken to mean that we should have, uh, a, this is where we get the language, prayer closet. You ever heard anyone use that phrase? Like, I've got to go in my prayer closet and pray. Now, I remember seeing this verse in my young, uh, in my early 20s, and, and just seeing this and go, yes, um, I'm going to go and close myself into a closet and pray. Now, honestly, that was really good for me because I am like super ADD and get distracted. And so it was really good for me to be in darkness, right? Um, but, but listen, the, the, the intent that Jesus is making is not saying, it's not a command that we must pray in a closet in order to be intimate with God, uh, because our church would just be a giant closet, all right? I mean, we are, it's not this command that we're supposed to do this to, to really get rewards from God. It's not that at all. In fact, if you, if you just read it, if you read it by itself, it seems that way in verse 6, but if you look at it in the greater context, what's he comparing it to? The person who's trying to get glory from men by praying in the streets and saying, listen, just do this in secret. And so my my challenge is, if if you look at verse 6 and just think it's just about you praying in the closet, that can be another thing that makes it about you. Like, like you're out with your, with your buddies or you, you ladies are out and you're just going, hey guys, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta stop right now. I'm gonna go pray in my prayer closet. And that becomes like the new thing that you're drawing attention to yourself with. You get that? Like, I've I got to go, we're going to shut the door now so I can pray quietly, right? And that becomes like the new thing that, that wants the applause of men and that wants the glory for ourselves. And so listen, the, the very heart of Jesus is saying is like when you go and pray into a room, he's, he's not saying you have to do this in order to be close to me. He's actually saying, listen, don't make a big deal about it. Don't use this opportunity to glorify yourself. Look, just be real with God. And then in verse 7, he says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That's good news, right? The father knows your heart. He knows every hair on your head. He knows what you're about to say. He actually knows the outcome of what you're going to ask for. And he's saying, but, but don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the non-believers who just say repetitious words to earn the favor of God. And I think for many of you who are new believers, sometimes we're afraid to pray 
Because we hear the prayers of others and we feel like we have to replicate what they do. Like you hear a believer who's been seasoned in prayer for 30 years and you feel like you have to pray that way. And so what happens is you end up trying to manufacture this perfect prayer or these certain words to say and you feel like those are the the certain words that are going to kind of unlock God's presence. Or we just become really fake. And you meet people that, I mean, all the time. I've been a Christian for a long time, so you always hear like the heavy breather prayer, prayer right? Father, right? It's just it's this like he has to, once he does that, then God's like, oh, he's praying now, right? Or like the person that talks like a normal human being, but when they pray, they're automatically talking in the King James Version. Like it's like, let's pray. Dear gracious Father, thine will, thy blah, blah. And they just go on, and it's like, what just happened, right? Like you were like a normal person and then you moved into this lofty language that really it, it's, it ends up drawing attention to you rather than attention to God. And so, listen, prayer doesn't have to be this mechanical or manufactured thing. It, 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 Jesus is saying, be yourself. Be all authentic when you pray. I remember when I was in high school, I went to a, a student conference, and at that time, my family, we were in a, um, a pretty rural uh, country church in North Carolina, a small uh, Southern Baptist church, and I was sent to a camp um, for a week, and they did, it was this big student conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think, like, Louis Giglio was the speaker, and, like, we had, like, all of these, like, this huge worship band lights, and, like, this is before that stuff really got popular. That's how old I am. And so, um, but, man, we were singing and man, jumping up and down, and there's waves of mercy, waves of grace everywhere I look. I see your face. Like, you know, you're just doing all of those things. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you didn't miss anything, all right? Um, but but, but we, we're excited. We're passionate. We're like, and look, I, after I ended that thing, 16 years old, I was like, I'm an expert in worship. Like, I know how to enter into the presence of God because I've heard these songs and I've done these motions and my, the people back home, they don't know what they're doing. They're just sitting there with their hymns, looking all angry. And I would get in there. I'd get in this worship service, and I'm like, man, they're, they're, they're not passionate about God. They don't, they don't love God, right? I mean, I know I don't have a job or anything or any responsibility, but they don't love God like I love God. Now, some of that might be true because there might have been people that did not love God in that room. But for me to look and say, in order for me, in order for God, in order for people to be rightly worshiping God, it has to be this manufactured formula where we have to be loud, singing to the top of our lungs, screaming, crying, waving our hands like crazy people. That's the way that true worship is, I think would be wrong to say that. Because there are dear men and women in that church who'd face tremendous trials and suffering And when they read, it is well with my soul, they may not lift their hands, but they may sit there and weep because they're grateful for what God is showing them in that beautiful hymn. And so... Psalm 23. Popular, popular passage. We've all probably have it memorized. It says, 
The Lord is my what? Shepherd. So what does the shepherd do? He, he gathers the herd. He protects the herd. He walks with the herd. He feeds the herd. He fights off wolves for the herd. So it sounds like he's about us, right? He's all about us. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Because it's like, I will not want any more outside of my shepherd. I won't long for anything else because this is where true joy is happening. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, it's one thing to lay down and be made to lay down, okay? He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's all about us, right? He leads me. He, he guides me. He protects me. He shepherds me. He leads me to, in the paths of righteousness. Listen, this is where it gets interesting. For whose sake? For his name's sake. So why is it that he is our shepherd? Why is it that he brings us to still waters to nourish and encourage our soul? Why is it that he, he makes us lay down in green pastures? Why is it that he protects us and loves us and all of these wonderful benefits from us having this loving, kind, gracious father? Is it for our glory, for his? It's for his name's sake, for his fame and glory. John Piper says it this way in the book, Desiring God. He says, God is most glorified when we are satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are satisfied in him. Our true joy is found when our desire is to glorify not ourselves, but God. Because God is about his own glory. And this is at the very heart of what Jesus is praying for. A deep passion and a deep prayer and desire to glorify God in all things. And so listen, before we can even move any further in this prayer, I want you to realize that the Lord's prayer is not a list. It's a funnel. The Lord's prayer is not a list. It's a funnel. Everything that now flows from what he's going to ask God for is for the chief end, for God to glorify himself above everything. Hallowed be your name. Everything now is going to funnel from this idea. And so when we pray, we ought to come and pray for whatever it is we're asking God, if this is for your glory, will you accomplish this thing? First John 5, 13, very popular verse on how to pray. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything to his what? To his what? Will. Y'all awake this morning? To his will, he hears us. He hears us because it's about his name, his glory. And if, and if we know that he hears us in what we, whatever we ask, we know that we have requests that we have asked of him. So what's the writer John saying here? He's saying, listen, if you want to pray, you have to ask for God's will. Now, Jesus is saying the same thing. We ask for the glory of God. And this is what Jesus says next. Verse 10 of uh, 
Matthew 6, verse 10, it says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does God get glory? That every man, woman, and child would hear of his greatness. And what is Jesus praying for? Would your gospel expand? So before we come and pray, we ask for the glory of God and for the expansion of the gospel. When was the last time you faced something hard in your life that was difficult and challenging and someone said, God is going to use it to further the gospel. God is going to use it so that this person would hear the story and they would in the end worship God. This is where we get this idea. For your kingdom come, your will be done. I wish we could spend more time there, but he's just asking for your glory and for the expansion of the gospel. Then we get to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So how do we read this in light of verse 9 and 10? Okay, we're praying now for hallowed be your name. Your name is great above all things. We want to pray that. We want to pray also for the expansion of the gospel, that the gospel would continue to, 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 to really touch the heart of every man, woman, and child. And then he says, uh, we need to pray for food. Does that not strike us as a little strange? Our daily bread. Um, the writer of Proverbs kind of helps us understand this a little bit. It's a, it's a funny proverb in Proverbs 30. Um, the writer of Proverbs, Jesus says something very similar to what Proverbs 37 through 8, 9 says. The writer of Proverbs says this, Two things I ask of you. Deny them uh, not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. How many of you can't stand liars? Like I cannot stand when somebody looks me in the eye and lies straight to my face. The writer of Proverbs is saying, listen, don't remove God from me, liars. And then we see this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or at least I'd be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What does the writer do here? He says, Lord, give me what I need. Give me this daily bread. And I love how authentic he's being in his prayer because, listen, he's saying, Lord, don't make me too comfortable or I will trust those things over you. And I'll be covered with greed. God, don't give me too much because I know my heart. And I know if you give me too much, I'm going to love that more than I love you. And then he says this. The contrasting statement is, Lord, don't make me poor, not too poor, because I'm going to steal something. If you make me too poor, I am going to go and steal. I'm just being real with you, God. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Just give me this day our daily bread. This guy knows um, the wickedness of his heart. And Jesus is saying, when we pray, we ask for this daily bread. Why do we pray for this daily bread? Because in order for us to glorify God, we need to eat. We need to live. We need to breathe. But not too much that we would make an idol out of food. And not too little to where we want to steal And that would be our attention, but just enough to where we can make it so that we can continue to hallowed and make much of the name of Jesus and pray for the expansion of the gospel. And so we have trouble praying like that, don't we? There's a part of us when we pray, we we get these fantasy ideas that if I had that one thing, I would be happy. 
if God gave me this car, I would be better off. If I had, if my internet speed was just a little bit faster, I wouldn't have the rage issues that I have now. And if he just gave me that, it would just make my life so much better and I could be a better worshiper of God. But no, the prayer that Jesus is saying, look, give us this day our daily bread. Not too much where I find an idol in it and not too little where I'd want to steal and that becomes a distraction. Give me enough so I can continue to make much of your name. Verse 12. And forgive us our debtors as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, will neither uh, their, their, others their trespasses, neither your Father forgive your trespasses. One of the most beautiful parts of the gospel is the ministry of reconciliation. That God was willing to reconcile with mankind or to earn reconciliation by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins in our place. And that's the only way that we can be reconciled through God. There's nothing in us that could earn that. But God, in order to make that possible, in order to make reconciliation possible, was for us to repent and believe in the gospel. So what's the gospel? It's just the ministry of us sharing this message that reconciles people to God. It's the ministry of reconciliation. And so someone that is not about forgiveness doesn't realize the weight of reconciliation. First John 3 says it well, verse 14. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See what he says? How do we know if a person's a believer or not? They're just marked, if a believer is marked by love. A believer wants reconciliation. A believer wants and desires to forgive because love is one of the greatest marks of a believer, that you love God and you love others. And Jesus points out this vertical vertical and horizontal effects of loving God. Loving God is going to cause you a desire to be forgiven by God. Loving God is going to cause you a desire to be forgiven and to forgive others. It's a result of true belief in the gospel. Now, why in the world would Jesus link this idea up to glorifying God? Because I think one of the most beautiful things about believers and the most, one of the most beautiful things that we can do to glorify God is the ministry and to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. So that we would learn to forgive others. We would learn to challenge others to be reconciled and be made right with God. And we would be a people of forgiveness. We would be a people who work through sin and fight sin together. And that's one of the greatest apologetics, I think, to a very skeptical world that we live in. These people are marked by forgiveness and reconciliation. One of the things I think that clouds our prayer life is our own sin. 
don't know if it's you, but when, when I'm fighting sin and I'm, I'm dealing with sin, I'm struggling with my sin, I don't want to talk to God. Uh, James says it this way in James 4, 3. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. What is it that clouds our prayer life? It's our own sin. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's vertical and there's horizontal effects. If you have issues before God, if you have issues with others, it's going to be, you're going to glorify God nonetheless because he's just that good. But listen, don't miss this reward of prayer and being one with God in prayer and asking God to be sovereign and good over your life in every way. Deal with your own sin. Fight sin with God and fight sin with others and confess those things. And so what Jesus is advocating for really is a person who's not naive of the condition of their heart. See that? They're not naive of the condition of their heart. This is a person saying, Lord, don't let me be tempted because if I'm tempted, I'm going to fall into sin and I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to be distracted by your glory. Lord, give me enough food to eat. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. But give me just enough. Give me your daily bread so I can make much of your name. Lord, to help my relationships with others not, not affect uh, me glorifying you. Lord, let, let my relationship with you not affect me glorifying you, not expanding your gospel. Lord, restore this. Restore my heart. This is a person who is not naive in how they pray. And I think there's something that intrigues all of us about people who are not really self-aware. I think that's why we watch the first few weeks of American Idol. Because you see people who are not self-aware. They're there. They think, I can sing. I'm going to be the next American Idol. And then they sing and they sound terrible. They sound awful. and No one loves you. No one told you that you're not good. That's horrible. They let you be on television, and they told you that you're going to be the next American Idol. And what you're seeing are people that just have no self-awareness. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, when you approach God, you need to be aware of the condition of your heart. When you approach God, you are acknowledging your own sinful behavior, and you're coming before him with authenticity and humility, and you're saying, God, will you glorify your name in my life for the expansion of your gospel? Give me enough food so I can do that. Lord, help my relationships to be about forgiveness. Help my relationships to be about not having debt in these relationships. Work, help me deal with my sin, God, for others and with you, for your glory and for your name. And so Jesus is advocating simply this. The whole context in Matthew 6 is about how we humbly position ourselves the way we ought to. When we talk about humility in the Bible, most of the time when we look at humility, we think it's about um, how we interact with other people. So when he talks against pride, we think about it immediately like how we're prideful in, at, a, at a gathering or a party or something like that. And we think about it relationally. But listen, most of the time when the Bible's talking about pride and humility, it's not talking about how we relate to one another. It's more about how we relate to God. And so he's saying, this is a person who has a humble prayer life. They're coming 
before God, and they're saying, God, whatever you want to do, do it in my life, as long as it's for your glory and for the furtherance of your gospel. And I think we're afraid to pray that way. I am. Because what it does is it exposes what it is that I really treasure. Anybody? I mean, it absolutely exposes what we treasure. Think about what you pray for. How How much of it is motivated in bringing glory to God? I mean, I'm afraid to pray that way. I'm afraid to pray, God, your will be done. Because what that often can mean is if his will has to be done, he's got to take something from me that I love and cherish, and that terrifies me. But listen, what if I were to tell you this morning that in order for his will to be done, he he is going to do that, but by him doing that is going to to allow you and cause you to find true joy and satisfaction in him alone. And that's the most loving and gracious thing that God could do for us this morning. It's for us to pray whatever it is that your will is to be done. If you've got to take something from me, if you've got to, if you've got to help and expose a sin in my own heart for you to be glorified, do it, God. Do it. Because that is where true joy is. Is found. God is most glorified and we are satisfied in Him. And so let us be a people that pray this way Your will be done. Prayer is one of the most imperative truths, I think, in all of Scripture. If we're not a people of prayer, we are showing that we are dependent on ourselves and we're not dependent on God. I don't want us to be that way. I want us to be a people who pray, and I'll just close in this way. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. God, we do not come dependent on ourselves. We do not come before you because... We have done something right in order to achieve that. We come before you only to Christ alone. So God, help us to be positionally humble to see that truth.